welcome to yet another episode of The Dealer Playbook. This is the podcast that explores how to create a thriving career in the retail auto industry. My name is Michael Cirillo. I'm so glad you're here. Today, I'm chatting with Tim Kintz about his new book, Frictionless, Closing and Negotiating with Purpose. All right, I'm really excited to dig into this conversation with you. I received a copy of your new book, Frictionless, Closing and Negotiating with Purpose. Uh, phenomenal job. Congratulations on that. I mean, it's as, as a fellow author, I know that is not an easy thing to, to do. The book writing process is not for everybody. That's, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate you having me on here. It's, it was a labor of love, right? It was 29 years in the making and uh, a lot of experience, a lot of, a lot of fails, a lot of successes. And, uh, took about a year to put it all together. So it didn't end up being war and peace and it ended up being a readable product. You weren't going for 300,000 words and, and, uh, you know, it's, I may say 300,000 words, but putting it in writing is a whole nother, a whole nother that, matter. That's true. It, it's funny. I remember being at an event about a year ago and we had some copies of my book and, and, you know, it's not the biggest book. It's about a hundred and 155 pages or something like that. And, uh, every, every dealer that I handed it to or that asked for it, they're like, this isn't super thick. And it's like, well, cause dude, I know my audience. Yeah, like, exactly. Like, and they're like, yeah, you're right. I don't really like reading very big books. And I'm like, well, there you go. Uh, but I want to ask you, I mean, coming off of this and, you know, you said 29 years in the making. I mean, what really is the motivation to do something like write a book? You know, it's um, I started out washing cars, kind of worked all the way through the entire car business, at least on the front end, NADA Dealer Academy, the whole process. And, right. you know, I think uh, I realized how hard salespeople have. and how little resources there are out there and I guess quality resources that help them in their day-to-day battle. And it's, uh, I think sometimes the further we get away from being on the floor and selling cars, the easier it was. And, uh, you know, salespeople getting their teeth kicked in two, three, four times a day at times. We have a big evolution of our industry and closing and negotiating tend to be the most stressful, scariest, um, intimidating part of the entire car deal with today's salespeople and management, quite frankly. Why, why do you think that is? Is it? I mean, you mentioned quality of training, but do you think there's other maybe social factors that play into that? Is it is because it we're afraid to talk to people or look people in the eye? Like, what, what, do you, what is your observation on why it's maybe more difficult today? I think... I think when we had the recession and, you know, 08, we start recovering in, in 2009, you know, we had that mindset during the recession, obviously, of, man, every deal counts. We can't negotiate. We, you know, it was more fear of losing deals because, hell, we didn't even know if we were going to have car dealerships, let alone negotiating for gross. And I think we lost a lot of good people. And I, I think that that fear overcoming that fear never came back, the art of negotiating, the art of closing. And I think that we're, when it comes to negotiating and asking for the sale, I think we're more afraid of losing a deal than we are inspired to make it. I think mm. it's, we negotiate so often out of desperation versus inspiration. And the normal reflex kicks in of making excuses. Well, yeah, but today's people don't want to negotiate. Yeah, but today's customers have more information. Yeah, but, yeah, but. And quite frankly, that's exactly why we need to be better at negotiating because customers are better. 
than they've ever been. Therefore, we need to be better. And let's face it, we've been blessed to have, what, 10, 12 years of growth and unbelievable industry. And the question I always ask is, are people buying cars or are we selling cars? Mm. Interesting. And what happens with a pullback? Can you negotiate? Can you set customers up for win? Can you make them feel like they're getting good? Yeah, it's interesting you say that too. I'm thinking about a recent car purchase that I made. Um, and by the way, I'm a complete and total lay down. <laughs> to the degree that the the my sales rep was like, you shouldn't, should you be telling us that? I'm like, yo, it's 30, it's the 30th of January. Let's right. roll, man. Let's get this on the books. You know, Amen. like that kind of a lay down. I'm like, I want the 3M. I want the warranty. I want the this. I want, yeah. and they were, and they were kind of shocked, but, but it was interesting because to your point, I think oh, myself and a lot of customers, we have so our our access to resources is abundant to do research up front to figure out what we want i mean i don't know if it's a personality thing but i watch videos of people driving a vehicle and i get the kind of same emotional stimulation watching the video like i can already picture what it's going to feel like to drive that vehicle before yeah. so so like i bypassed the test drive like we didn't do any of that on this thing it's like hey yo let's roll kind of a thing um and i know not a lot of people are that way however Though there was not, I guess, this kind of stereotypical negotiation process, there were still negotiations along the way um, that I, I don't think particularly my rep was even ready for because they weren't ready for the type of customer that I am, right? Yeah, I agree. And, and so, so I love what you're saying about kind of this desperation versus inspiration. In fact, just a, a day or two ago, on the podcast, I was talking about, um, you, you know, you, you ask any dealer, it's we're, we're, we're March 3rd, give it another week. And they're going to be like, yeah, well, you know, it's one of those months again. And blah, 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 blah. When are we going to get sick of having saying that over and over again? And what can we do about it? So you talk about desperation versus inspiration. How do we, what's your recommendation? Like, how do we flip the switch? in our mind to realize that that you can be inspired or you can attract deals versus constantly thinking about, oh, it's one of those months and I only got two. I wanted a hat trick today and I didn't get it. Well, I mean, it really comes down to, you know, we always talk about bad months. It's always the fire sale mentality the last week, right? It's, it's we live in 30-day bubbles. We have 12, 30-day right. years every single year and we're always trying to pull it out and you know, I believe that that selling is. I'm a big sports fan, and I believe it's a lot like sports, right? Sabermetrics and baseball, and it's it's a numbers game. If you know the numbers, you control the game. If you don't know the numbers, you can't control the game. And as salespeople, we don't have bad months. We have bad hours because we sit around and do nothing and wait for something to happen. Those bad hours turn into bad days. Bad days lead to bad weeks. Bad weeks become bad months. But it's it's knowing your numbers, knowing your stats. How many how many customers do you have to talk to face-to-face, belly-to-belly this month to be able to sell your 15 cars? How many demos do you have to do? How many write-ups? Do you know that your exact numbers, therefore, you can be early. We don't have to pull the month out. You can, be, you can see if you're trending above or below each one of the activities. We always look at the, the lagging indicators, how many we sell, how much money we make, but what's the leading indicators that determine that? I ask managers all the time when they're in my workshops, that when you call back to the dealership, what do you ask him? 
And they always tell you how many we sell, how much we make. Okay, but how many leads do we get? How many contacts do we make from them leads? How many appointments do we set? How many show? How many ups do we have? How many demos? Right, right. Those activities are what ultimately give us the results. And if you want to have great months, you got to have great hours. And and come in every day with with a plan, like you know, a playbook. Know what your what your daily routine is going to be. I think that's the biggest separator between guys I know that are high producing top top achievers and everybody else is they have a purpose, purpose-driven career, and they're not in survival mode. Right? Look right. around a dealership. Are you surviving or succeeding? Right. And there's a lot of survival going on. And I don't and blame I mean, anybody. It's just kind of the way it's always been. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things, but, but, but I, you know, I'm with you. It's, it's this idea of that's the way it's always been that killed so many dealerships during the recession. Right. And well, now, cause we're at a, you know, we're at a big, we're at a paradigm shift. It's yeah. I, I equate like in my, in the book frictionless, I talked about how service used to, when I first started 20 plus years ago, they were 90, 95% of all repairs most maintenance was done at car dealership. And I did a study and they were tough numbers to find exacts, but the best number I could find was in 2018, $405 billion was spent on, on light duty vehicle repairs and maintenance. And the scary part is only 65 billion of that 405 billion was spent at car dealership. Mm. If we would rewind that 20 plus years ago, chances are, I don't know the real numbers, but it would have been closer to 400 billion or 390 billion was spent at dealerships. And I guess, why do people go to third party repair facilities? I think because they have choices, right? That was the different, that was the differentiator. As soon as Jiffy Loops and Quick Loops popped up on every corner and customers had choices, they abandoned us. And yeah. now we have 88% give or take of, of, the, of repairs going to third party facilities. Service didn't change its process. To this day, service runs virtually the same. They look better, better computers, but the process is still advisors, dispatchers, techs, wait in small rooms, drinking stale coffee, watching reruns of CNN headline news, yeah. and they didn't change. And the problem, we never had to change service because you don't go broke because you don't sell service. You go right. broke because you don't sell cars. Now we're at that same paradigm shift where customers are at that point where they're going to have options. Every dealership in the country is a click away. We got Carvana's, Walmart's, who knows what's coming. Click and buy is around the corner when they can figure it all out. So are we going to be prepared and are we delivering exceptional experiences with every customer? So when they get choices, they're not going to take them. They're going to stay with us. Yeah. And you know what? I love that you're, you're positioning this as a paradigm shift because there really is one of two ways to go. I mean, I know there's, there's going to be a lot of people that hear information like this and and it's doom and gloom to them. They go, oh man, Walmart. Do you see Walmart's announcement? They're getting into the this and, the, and oh yeah, you know what? I'm done. And they're packing up shop before they even, because they think, oh, these bigger players with bigger money, with bigger resources are coming in to, to smush on me. Right. Uh, there's a, the other group though, and I, I think I'm in this group, which is that's actually exciting because there was all this doom and gloom that the car industry is dying and this and that, yet you're still seeing all of these massive players wanting to invest in it. 
And, and it's because to, to your point, you know, what I'm picking up here is they're seeing something, they're seeing an opportunity that because that, that we've been blinded to because we've been so comfortable doing it a certain way. Yeah. To your point about like the Jiffy Lubes and the, the whatever, the 15 minute, whatever, you know, like we're talking about oil changes here. I should not have to leave my vehicle with you for two and a half hours to get an oil change. Absolutely. However, I, I think, I mean, how much of that is, is also a paradigm shift about what resources are needed. So for example, like, I, you know, is it the process we have currently that accommodates the, the, resources that we put into it meaning if i was going to do a 15 minute oil change then i'd have to be thinking about personnel and having people on hand to do it and all of these sorts of things and have i gotten to a place where i'm ready to make that investment like is that kind of what the the narrative is do you think that's holding dealers back or yeah lack of vision comfort zone we're making a lot of money in spite of ourselves right now um you know we're you know we've all heard the kodak analogy right it's they invented the digital camera and did nothing with it because they were so focused on feeding the beast, paying the bills with all their film and their paper and their cameras and the old school photos that they didn't see the future and they didn't create a separate engine for the digital age of photography and of, of photos and lifestyle. I think we're at that same point that we're so focused on feeding the beast, selling cars now, making money now that we don't see what's next. Are we, are we going to be able to build that digital side? And so often we just put band-aids on gunshot wounds, right? We have old school BDCs that were, you know, started in the nineties. Right. And we think of these, when leads come in, we think of them as leads. They're not leads, man. They're customers on the other end. It's the real people. And are we treating them that way? And are we tying salespeople in with that process? Or are we, Dividing the two departments, BDC against the salespeople, right? Do we have, are we still having customers come in and ask for managers so then they can wait five minutes because managers work in deals and then we just hand them off to a salesperson? And we all know that every customer hates being handed off multiple times in stores. So let's make a process that, that pisses them off in the first five minutes of showing up, right? right? Are, are we still doing that or are we going to embrace it, right? We, we don't want to be Kodak and just live in the past and focus on feeding the beast. But at the same time, we don't want to be Napster or, right. or, you know, web TV and be so far in the future that we're not feeding the beast today, right? We have to have that happy medium of what is, what's trending, what's next, but also can I get out there and close the deal now? Can we hold gross now? Look, gross right. is not a dirty word. And can you have volume and gross at the same time? Absolutely. It's about the experience. Right. And it's about professionalism, man. And I think we're, like I said, we're afraid of losing deals instead of focused on going out there and giving customer wins, setting them up for victory. Mm, I love that. And, and, you know, something as well that, that stands out to me is, especially as you were talking about salespeople kind of versus BDC, it, it's like we're, we're instead of, and I mean, this isn't just the car business. I see this in all types of organizations. It, it's almost the, the thought of doing something new is almost easier than looking at what's already in front of us. And so mm. now I'm not dogging on BDC. I mean, a lot of no. people that listen to the show are, are fantastic at BDC, but it's almost, it, it almost makes me think like, why is the BDC necessary? Is it because 
it was easier to just install this new concept than it was to have the salespeople who are sitting there right now twiddling their thumbs, right? Like to your point about, it's not about the month, it's about the hours and then the day and then the weeks and, and that sort of a thing. Like, did we do that because we were not willing to invest in our sales team? Because I mean, it, you know, I always think of this concept of a village and I think of salespeople as the hunters. They are going out hunting for the food that already exists. But then the lines blurred, you know, the lines blurred and we're like, oh, but sales also ought to be, they're, they're not a good enough salesperson if all they know how to do is hunt. They need to also know how to be a marketer. And in my mind, in the village, like the marketers are the ones that are planting seeds. They're tilling the, 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 they're tilling the soil. They're, they're nourishing. They're, you know, they're doing all these things. And there's, there's, there, there needs to be harmony between those two. And there can be some crossover. But it's like, we were just like, uh, hunter, bad. Must find. You know what I mean? And it's like, oh no, like did did we just create this mess for ourselves instead of just nurturing what was already in front of us? Well, I think a lot of it was because as salespeople, and I remember when Tom Stuker in the nineties, when I was started selling cars was implementing and it started out with salespeople spending time in the phone room and you had a phone room manager and that was the BDC. And then it evolved into hiring other people to do it. And we've added all these expenses. Do we Really, I don't like to even think of it as a BDC, really, in today's world. When we install them and work with stores on it, it's your digital communications department. It's not just uh, handling internet leads and phone calls. It's, it's all about digital communication. Everything, whether it's texting, instant messenger, email, it's, it's making sure that we're all communicating properly. Right. And the customer is, is being taken care of the right way, whether it is having a, a, uh, digital communication department or BDC, or whether it's having salespeople do it, it's is the process designed to be fast, efficient, creative, and focus on the customer. Speaking of that, and I mean, in the spirit of friction, creating a frictionless environment, what from from your vantage point, with all the experience now that you've garnered and all of the observations and and the dealers that you've worked with and all these sorts of things. What does the ideal, where am I going with this? Sometimes my thought, sometimes my mouth moves faster. than my, uh, I, it, I resemble that. Remark. You can relate. Yeah. I, I've, I've just now felt my wife rolling her eyes at me wherever she is <laughs> in the city right now going, yeah, that's true. Um, is there, what, what is the ideal frictionless environment look like? And I, and I'm talking both front end and back end because I mean, a lot of people, you know, a lot of people, it, it's really easy for us to say, well, we need to focus on that customer experience, but it's, it's, it's actually pretty crazy how, when you're inside it, how, how little that actually means. Do you know what I mean? Like you overthink it. You're like, well, what does that mean? I don't know what I could do to provide a better customer experience. So, so from your perspective, what does frictionless look like from both the back end and the front end of the operation? I think it's really where we get so emotionally and financially attached to every customer that we forget about the customer. Right? We just focus on a car deal. And I, what, what I see it as is, number one, it's we have to speed the velocity of the deal up when we sell the car without sacrificing the integrity of, of selling. Right? We still have to sell. We still have to be able to present and demonstrate our product. We still have to be able to build value in us, the dealership. But 
the way we do it and the speed we do it at is it has to change. And that's really, look, I, I, I trained tens of thousands of people to do it the old way. I get the old way. And I don't believe that old dogs can't learn new tricks. I'm an old dog and I learn new tricks. And it's, are we bringing technology into the selling process when the customer shows up? As simple things, as, as simple as scanning scanning trades, making sure that we're doing digital credit apps so it pushes easier to route one or dealer track. Um, are we offering a pattern interrupt to customers and walking their vehicles up front and getting appraisals done while we're on a demo so we can, we can literally layer steps of the sale so we can buy 30, 40 minutes back on the back half. You know, when we do our walk around presentation, it's not about the volume of features you cover. It's about the impact you make on mental ownership, right? Mm -hmm. We mistake sometimes for volume of features for impact on mental ownership. They don't have anything to do with each other. Just because you got a full plate of food doesn't mean it's any good. It just means it's full. And it's the data dump on customers. Well, the internet's provided so much of the wants and needs to customers. My job's not to tell them all the features and just talk about wants and needs. My job is to find out their compelling reason why they need a new vehicle. And it's basically when I'm doing my pre-demo trade walk, I have a blank canvas and they're painting their life on that canvas. When I get to know them, I find common ground, find out what's really important to them. And then when I present and demonstrate my vehicle, my job is to paint my vehicle into their life. Yeah. And, and by doing that, I only talk about what they care about. They may not care about Apple Play. They may not care about 88 airbags in the car. They may care, like me, about how cool it looks, and I want it to be badass, and I want the interior to have some cool features in it. I don't care about the horsepower. I don't care about how it does off-road because something bad's happening to me if I'm off-road. I don't care about towing or rear axle ratios when I look at my truck. I want it to look badass, and that's all you need to talk about. That's how I take mental ownership. Right. And then once you've done that, if we can get to that in 35 to 45 minutes is the goal. And, and now it's time to get a commitment and start a negotiation. Man, that's, that's what customers want. The one thing they hate about buying cars is how long it takes. Yeah. So it's about speeding the velocity up. It's about, it, it's, it's really about making it about them, lowering their guard so they're open-minded and then they're confident in you and then they trust you and then negotiation. It's never easy, but it's a hell of a lot easier. Yeah. You, you know, and, and I can think of, and I don't ask me why I decided to do this on this recent car purchase, because usually I just pick one of my clients and I go, that one. And it doesn't matter where they're located. By the end of that week, the, the vehicle is sitting in my driveway. And I feel very fortunate to that in that regard. Um, but I, I chose, you know what? There, there were three of the type of vehicle we were looking for in the entire, we live in Canada, so in the entire province, and we thought, okay, so the, the one that's closest to me, I will go to. I, I go and do the whole laydown deal. I'm a laydown. You, you know, if you have it, I'm driving it home today. Like, I'm giving them this whole spiel. We get into the office, and they pull out their sheet, and they go, okay, so um, what color would you be looking for? And I'm like, Black, steel graphite with black leather, the one that's sitting right there, you know, like that kind of a thing. And they go, and, and if, uh, if we were able to get that to you with everything you're looking for, how, how soon would you be looking yeah. to make the, and I'm leaning over the desk going, 
if you have it, I am driving it home today. Like, yeah. so, so now that's not to dog on them. It, it, I mean, a little bit it is. I'm venting a little bit to you, Tim, but, uh, but it's also to suggest that to, to what you just said, in order to find that compelling reason, what I wrote down here under that is active listening. And right. do your sales teams have the autonomy to actively listen, to identify the actual motivators? What's inspiring them to buy? Why are they here talking to me? Like you have to understand, look, pe- people are so transactional in nature when it comes to finances, which you which you've talked about, right? Like they're emotionally and and financially attached. But you have to understand the fact that I took time to organize with my wife and school pickup and h- how can we get to the dealership at the right time? And the fact that I am now here talking to you, I've already transacted something that is valuable to me. Right. I don't go to your store unless I'm real, but I think so often we have a mindset of as salespeople yeah. that I don't want to go through the trouble unless you're real. Yeah. Instead of going through the trouble to make you real is yeah. I don't want to waste my time if you're not real. That's why so many stores, they'll pull credit and they'll be how much you want to spend a month so I can put you on the right car, how much down. They start negotiating before they even find cars. Yeah, right. And I think, in, especially even with today's educated customers, payment calculators on every single website, they've already got an idea. And all, it's, you know, it's not stupid questions, I guess. Homer Simpson said, there's no such thing as stupid <laughs> questions, just stupid people that ask questions. But it's, we ask stupid questions and we wonder why we get, Ridiculous yeah. answers. I mean, right. you would lowball a customer if they're going to say how much you want to pay a month, how much down right. you have. Right. And it breaks one of the golden rules of negotiating. Whoever starts the negotiation has the advantage. Yeah. So as soon as I start ballparking to see if you're real and how much you want to spend, I let you start the negotiation. You dumped me down. And now we're going to have an uphill battle from there. Yeah. Because the manager is going to pencil you back at a higher payment and the customer's like, Aren't you paying attention to me? Are you not actively listening to me? Because you just asked me what I want to spend. I told you, and now you're showing me triple that. And it's really, that's one of the most important golden rules. Whoever starts that negotiation has the advantage. And I think so often it's because I don't want to waste my time unless these people are real. Well, I got to go find another up. Yeah. Which is, you know, (laughs) so, so what I take from that is like, oh, cool. So you're not a hunter. Yeah. You know, like I think about, I think about the recession and dude, like it hurt. It, it was a big hit to my business, but there's a reason why then we got back to where we needed to be. And then why we grew by like 380% during this time when people are, you know, jumping out of windows and can't figure yeah. themselves out and all these sorts of things. And it's because we went and hunted when we, when we saw a mirage, we actually went closer to it to identify whether or not it was a mirage. We didn't go, oh, well, I think it might be a mirage. I'm going to go find somewhere else to go. Right. You know what I mean? And that's kind of what I'm, I'm thinking about as you're talking about like, oh, I'm not going to do anything unless it's real. It's like, dude, you don't know if it's real unless you do something. Well, and that's so true, though, that good habits are formed during bad times and bad habits are formed during good times. Yeah. And we've had lots of good times, lots of bad habits. And, you know, when it's not if we have a pullback, there'll be one. Are we prepared? And are we prepared to make sure that we're keeping this circle of life going in the dealership? You know, we're so focused sometimes on pulling somebody from 100 miles away and lose $1,000 when we sell them a car. But we've got 100,000 people sitting in our database right now that we forget about. Mm -hmm. And we, you know, are we keeping that retention going? Are we keeping them coming into the dealership? And based on those numbers I gave you on service revenue, 
we're not. We're losing them. And, you know, I, I was just in a dealership last week looking at their numbers that we have, we're working with. And they're, they said, no, our service department does a good job. We retain customers. Well, I went and pulled up their customer pay RO count and went back a couple of years. And they're writing about the same amount of ROs every month as they did the previous year. So they're not retaining people. They're replacing people. And it's, it's not sustainable once more options start coming up with Walmarts and Amazon. So it's how can we make it seamless? How can we make it frictionless where that customer wants to come back to the dealership? I'm like you. I went, I, I, I don't want to go through hassle of getting a vehicle. I just called my buddy. He had a truck for me. I went to the dealership down the street for the first time. I get free oil changes with the truck. And I decided, you know what? I'm going to go to this Toyota store. So I went yeah. to the dealership. That's the last time I'm going back to the dealership. I'm going to write a check. I'm going to pay $70 to get my oil change <laughs> because my time is more valuable than having a 20-minute oil change take an hour and a half and have to yeah. go find somebody. And they just lost me on that. But yeah. that's the kind of experiences that people have. And in the past, they didn't have any choices. They could right. drive an hour to another dealership, and they were going to suck and take four hours too. Now it doesn't matter where they're at. They have options. They have choices. And we have to make these changes. And that's really my whole focus on when we sell the car, how are we going to speed the velocity of the deal up, make the customer feel like they won, make them feel like they got a good deal. Because the reality is what's a good deal? Not a number. It's perception, right? It's a feeling. And then how are we going to retain them in service so we can keep so we can keep growing. And I'm not, we don't have time to get in a service talk, but how are we going to make sure that those people that don't want to come in, we're willing to go pick up their cars and do concierge service. And the people that do come in, how are we going to make sure that we make it quick, efficient, so they're not sitting there waiting for 45 minutes for a 20 minute oil change? You know, I got a buddy that very simple, but if there's a waiter, they turn the hazards on the car when it's in service. So everybody knows that customer is waiting. And it's a little tiny fix, but it doesn't take giant leaps. But man, we have to put these changes in place or we're going to be extinct. Yeah, you know, and, and it makes me think about the, the buyer demographic out there. Like, what does your customer base look like? I mean, I, I was at a conference uh, last fall. Google was there sharing some of their latest insights. And they, they kind of asked, like, what's, what do you think the average age of your customer is? And the room's thinking, you know, they're 50s, 55 to 65, kind of this boomer, you know, 67, whatever, because the perception has always been they're the ones with the money. Well, when, when I look at, well, first of all, you've talked a lot about perception. So if my perception that that is where my customer is, then my perception is only, you know, you, 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 you see what you want to see in that kind of um, uh, paradigm. And so when I look at the 67-year-old, there's a lot of them still that love just sitting down with the salesperson and let's talk, let's get to know each other. Let's do the, you know, like we're buying a pool or something like it's this weird, right. but if you're a dealership and you're, and you're listening to what Tim and I are talking about and you're focused and, and you're interested in increasing lifetime value, you need to stop discrediting millennial and what, what's, what's that Gen Y or Gen Z or Z or whatever we're yeah. what, because the perception isn't that we don't have any money and we're not buying vehicles because I'm technically, I'm one of the earliest millennials, but I'm already on my 10th vehicle purchase that by the way, I haven't been loyal to the same dealership 
uh, uh, you know, and I could have been had there been a better process. They were loyal to you. Make it easier. Yeah, they, they were never loyal to you. So yeah, it's yeah. So so it's shifting paradigm and focusing on lifetime value. Like, what can I actually do to increase lifetime value? First, I can focus on those that have the money and are going to have the money for a longer period of time. If you're really concerned about money. And then the second step is to do, you know, implement what you're talking about, like have these tough conversations from your experience. And I, I want to, I guess, make this my last uh, conversation point with you because we, everybody is prone to this. We wear busy, like a badge of honor. Yeah. Our dealership operations so busy that we can't take the time to figure this stuff out. Cause that always seems to be the thing. Oh man, it's so busy. There's so many plates spinning. I got so many moving pieces. It would be difficult for me to figure out resources to allocate to service so that we can come up with a frictionless environment or to sales or to whatever. There's just too many. We're too far gone. It's so busy. We can't get to that. What needs to happen to slow things down? Um, as, as weird as that sounds, that sounds no, like the old school salesperson, like slow down the process, but I'm saying like, no, it's not even slow slowing down the process. It's slowing down our mind process, right? It's, yeah, yeah. It, I deal with this all the time. We go in and fix stores. And I mean, good example, I went in one store, they were selling 300 plus new uh, Chevys a month and they were losing money every single month on these vehicles. And their thing was, you know, look, I want to keep Mark's chair. I want to keep my units up. And don't come in here and tell us we're going to start holding gross and we lose market share. Right? Right. We get so focused on market share, pulling it out. And they, after 12 months, just trust me, do what I tell you. They were up three or $4 million on the year. And it's, it's somebody's got to be willing to tell them their baby is ugly. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's old. You can't see the forest for the trees. We're yep. busy in survival mode and not success mode. And you need somebody, and this isn't a sales pitch for me. I don't care who it is. Somebody's got to be able to help them understand that we, here's what we need to fix. You can't fix it all. I always tell guys, you need to identify the areas we need to focus on and what can have the biggest impact immediately with the least amount of pain. How can we get some wins? And when I start implementing little things at a time, we get wins. And all of a sudden, the salespeople, the managers make a little more money. Then the next thing that I implement is going to be easier. And it's, you can't fix it all right away. You can't change it all right away. We have to set people up for wins, set them up for victories, identify, is it your digital communication department that we need to tweak? Is it the face-to-face, feeding the beast and negotiating that we need to get better at? What is that area? And let fix that first. We try to, we try to fix everything at once. And nothing works. And then we just say, screw it. Let's just keep doing what we're doing and yeah. we'll figure it out later. That's, I had a guy ask me, are you scared of the future of the car business? And I said, no, I'm not afraid of scared of the future of the car business necessarily. I'm scared of our, our resistance to change and evolve. Mm-hmm. That scares me. Yeah. It's suffoc- if I feel suffocated when I think about that, like this resistance to change and evolution. Man, Tim Kintz. Author of Frictionless, Closing and Negotiating with Purpose. I want to thank you so much for joining me on the Dealer Playbook. How can those listening get in touch with you and get a copy of the book? At kinsgroup.com. We uh, have a, it launches on March 10th. And uh, 
There's a page on there that you can go to frictionless negotiating and you can buy it there. You can get it on amazonprime.com. Uh, there's a Kindle version. And later this year, we will have an audio version coming out and it's got resources, calculators, supporting tools uh, to help you guys negotiate and close better. You're the man. Thanks so much for joining me.